Could have been smart. Could have gone to college. Got married. Been cool. All these circuits get crossed. Zap! And that's autism. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc. You disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Oh, yeah, me. Sorry. (laughs) Welcome to Signs of the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of signs in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's episode is on Mercury Rising. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. That was nothing. That was not a reflection of how I feel about the movie. I just I just forgot my words. All right. Cool. All right. How are you doing, Abby? I've heard okay. from my friends that your week might have been a bit rough. Yeah. <laughs> my week was a bit rough. No. I'm okay. I'm um I don't have any science news. <laughs> well, no news is good news. Yeah. <laughs> I so that only applies to like hostages. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyways, all right. Well, it's, it's it's a slow some 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 months are slower than others. Yeah. I'm also really slow at the moment. I'm just doing manuscript preparing and why is it taking me months to just write one paper? Unclear. <laughs> I think that I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's two extra figures in a table and da, 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 and like a week later I'm still on it." Yeah. It takes a very long time. So, yeah, I don't have any news either. I'm just doing manuscripts. Great. <laughs> Neither of us have any Woo! news. <laughs> All right. Oh, thank you. Okay, cool. Let's get into Thanks, the Beth. film then. Should we just get into oh, it? Happy. This is, this um, is going to be... Is there anything else to talk about? I don't think so. Uh, there is one thing to just quickly talk about is that, as, as I tend to say every episode, Frida, your fucking mic is scratching. I actually just can't cope with you anymore. (laughs) Anyways, let's get into the movie because it's Mercury Rising. And I have a summary for everybody. Okay. I'm sure there's no one on earth that doesn't need to be. Like there was not one person that I was like, Mercury Rising. And they were like, oh yeah, that. They were like, what? Yeah, Frida, like, nobody you know, fucking knows what this the... movie is, just so you know. <laughs> so go on, nobody give a summary. Rising is. I'm sh- I can't believe it. All right, well, I'll, re- I'll refresh everyone's memories because it's a Bruce Willis film. Bruce Willis plays a cop with a history. Basically, a kid died on his watch. He also has a temper. They were just kids. Now he dedicates his life to missing children. I'm assuming they don't actually ever go out and say that, but I put two and two together. He used to work in undercover, whatever. Isn't like his and first job after the undercover thing? Missing children. Then he was called for missing life. children. It's a reach. Huh? Dedicating his life is a reach, but okay. <laughs> well, he's, he's switched. He's switched yeah, departments yeah. to missing children. All right. <sighs> This hey, this is my episode. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> That's my fan theory. Anyways, 
He dedicates his life to missing children. Then there's Simon. He's autistic. He opened up a puzzle book and cracked a code and he called the number. But as it turns out, this was a government code that he cracked and it's used to transfer a lot of secret information such as the names and locations of CEI agents. So now they have to kill Simon and his parents. There is no other way around it. And Bruce Willis has to protect him, but he also has to protect him from the government and the police. Although Simon is autistic, Bruce Willis ultimately thinks he's all right. He finds a lady. We'll come back to that at the end of the episode yeah, without well. question. Without question. Yes. And that's Mercury Rising. Now, I watched this two weeks ago. Okay. I watched it with my friend Harry. Harry, who appears like who is now like a a recurring character in the podcast as the person that watches movies with me. So me and Harry watched it. Um, I'll edit that bit out. We laughed our heads off. So I found the experience to be hilarious and. I guess I kind of liked it for that reason. What did you think about the film? I think that you sent me a running order today, right? And then you sent me a second message that said, oh, sorry, best bits before what the fuck. And my immediate reaction was, oh, it's brave of you to be assuming that I have best bits. Are you feeling all right? Like best bits slash worst bits. This is a terrible movie, Frida. This is a terrible, so terrible, terrible movie. Like it's so bad on so many levels, <laughs> as well as just being insanely offensive to autistic people. It's bad. Like I'm the I'm supposed to pick the bad movie next week, Frida. What the fuck have you done to me? Yeah, I know. It's such a bad movie. It also makes no sense. You mm. know, you know how oh, yeah. we watched Enemy of the State, and yeah. and there's a similar. This is this is there's similar logic. It's like, but that is good, and this is bad. Yeah, you know it's I mean? a weird style of movies, right? Wasn't it like for this long time period? It's it's very formulaic. Like we know it's like you've got the you've got the guy. He's he's got you know he's a rough guy, but he's got a heart of gold. And uh, someone's in trouble and vulnerable and he's got to save them and there's the bad guys. And then at the end, everyone becomes this cozy, happy family. Like, but but you see those movies and sometimes they have substance to them and sometimes they just fucking don't. And this was one of them. And I hate it because I hate ragging on a Bruce Willis movie. I hate it. But like, mate, (laughs) this was not good. It's not good. It's funny because we just did Battlefield Earth and oh. I know they're not the same person, leave it. but the fact that it clearly has like a Matrix upload information scene. Yeah. And just because you use exactly the same thing, it doesn't, gonna, doesn't mean it's going to be just as good. Yeah. <laughs> and this film is like a hodgepodge of things that have worked in other films, but don't work here because I think the writing is so bad. So bad. There's no, there's no connection that makes any sense throughout this whole fucking movie. Why do they have to kill him? Being the first reason. 
Why is that necessary? What? <laughs> also, it's not clear. Like it's it. They don't make. They don't put any effort into make it clear that it's that it's the government doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't. They don't do anything to set up to be like, oh, this guy's actually a bad guy. It kind of, at the start, you're just like, oh, wait, so like, did somebody find so out? True. Or like, what? You've got that weird bit in the rain with the dog. And like, if he had actually just killed those guys in the rain, when, when he met them in the rain with the dog, then you'd be like, oh, shit, cool. He's a bad guy. But like, mm. for a while, you're just a little bit like, who who are the bad who who are the bad guys? Is it, Why are they trying to kill it? Because Enemy of the State begins with a very clear scene of like, oh, yes, this guy's bad. Yeah, this, this is a bad man. Well, this guy will do anything to protect his promotion. I feel like a lot of these government bad guys are pretty much doing it. <laughs> just like, to it's Battlefield Earth again. I'll tell the Home Office My promotion. I'm sending a report to the home office and you will not get your promotion. <laughs> no, I'll kill everybody so I can get my promotion. Yeah, the Battlefield Earth get the entire mad convoluted thing is just for him <laughs> to get a promotion. Oh, what? so bad. <laughs> so here we are again. This guy wants to protect his promotion. Yep. Let's talk some cast stuff. I... I think I have about a thousand tropes, so I feel like there won't be okay, anything yeah. left for best bits. Once I'm through with tropes. So okay. <laughs> for me personally, but you never know. Okay, I've there's a lot of three. 90s people. What? <clears throat> I've got three tropes. <clears throat> okay, amazing. I I actually wrote so many and then I started that I remembered more as I was preparing for the episode. So there, there is like a cast of 90s characters here, which is mm. like 90s character actors like John Carroll Lynch as the dad. Oh yeah, terrible waste. Love oh. him. I've, I've got Dead stuff to say on that later. <laughs> then okay, Peter Stromer as one of the bad guys. Then yeah, Catherine Mannheim. Remember her from the practice? She's the lady that gives him the puzzle. Oh yeah, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. The at the start, the teachery womany. Yeah, literally the only fat actress at the time in Hollywood film and or TV. Yep. Love her. Nice to see her playing a nice person. Yep. Yeah. Because I always made her pay evil people because of evil fat bastard trope. Oh, Remember yeah. that? Yeah. 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 Go um, back to our uh, Jurassic Park episode for that discussion. Jurassic Park. If you want to know about the evil fat bastard, yep. Yeah. I'm not calling anyone a bastard. It's the trope. But anyway, Chi McBride, who I think we're a fan of at Science at the Movies. I feel like we've brought him up before. You have. Who? I'm pretty sure. Well, he's oh. from Boston Public. He's in a loads of 90s stuff. Which uh, one is he? he? Chi McBride is like the boss cop. He's, he's the boss cop. Boss. He's, he's boss. He's a good guy. <laughs> what are you Chi. doing? Is it Chi? Chi McBride. Like, how do you spell Chi? Chi? Thank you. C-H-I, <laughs> not Q-I or X-I. <laughs> C-H-I-P. Oh no, I've not brought him up before. But yeah. Really? So familiar. And the and then the lady is played by Kim Dickens, who 
I think is a great actress. I think actress. we've just never seen again. And she was never seen again. She had Mercury Rising and it destroyed her career. No, not even, Abby. She was in Deadwood. Did you ever okay. watch Deadwood? No, I didn't. Deadwood but I'm happy to know that because so... I quite liked her. She's good actress. Deadwood was a great three season mm. series that got axed to everyone's distress. It's so good. Um, so she's played. She's good in that. Um, okay, now we can go to the main characters. Do you have any comments on those people here? We no. can. Okay. Now, the kid, Simon, is played by Miko Hughes. Oh, wait. Sorry. What? Is Alec Baldwin already discussed or is he a main character? I'm going to discuss him after Miko Hughes. Okay. Do go on. I think we'll discuss Simon, mostly in the science section, Mm -hmm. but not the performance of the actor. So if there's any Mm -hmm. comments you want to make about the performance i i think that you can't really criticize the kid for anything that he does because he's a child and he's a child child who i doubt very much at that age is making his own acting decisions as how to portray an autistic child he's obviously being told how to portray an autistic child and i get that there's a number of things that may be accurate about it but i i found it very uncomfortable to watch him and not because of this great portrayal of an autistic child and feeling uncomfortable like uh seeing autistic people being portrayed it was because i just think the way the performance was chosen made it very uncomfortable to view i i don't yeah i don't know what else to say Look at me, Simon. Simon. Look at me, Simon. We'll get to Art. that. Why did Friend. Oh, it's E.T. L- what? Friend. Oh, you are a friend. <laughs> Simon, um, look at me, Simon. <laughs> Do you know there's a there's a uh, Australian sitcom called Kath and Kim? Yeah, which is in like the can. Yeah, you know Kath and Kim. Look at me, can we? Look at me. <laughs> and it's just entered into the Australian culture so so strongly. <laughs> so when I was watching it, when they were like, "Look at me, Simon," I was like, "Look at me, <laughs> yeah. look at me, Simon." <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, so let's now discuss Alec Baldwin mm. as evil bastard. What Do you have any comments about Alec I, Baldwin? The only thing I have to say about Alec Baldwin, right, is like looking, looking back on something like this. Uh, <clears throat> 30 Rock destroyed Alec Baldwin in anything else for me. Because Alec Baldwin as Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock means that anytime Alec Baldwin is in anything in a suit, he's Jack Donaghy. Like, I'm sorry, he, that's, Alec Baldwin played Jack, Jack Donaghy and he just is Jack Donaghy. Like, there's, he can't be any other character. So I can't watch it. I watch it and it's just like, Lemon! Lemon! 
just like no you're like there's you 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 can't be anyone else so i just i don't believe you as this evil bad guy but the thing is i think he could do it i think he could be if the script was better if like the mm. if the way that the plot fed through you would believe he was like this power hungry guy who you know will do anything but like they just they just didn't bother trying to make that clear they didn't <laughs> they just bother, went put yeah. alec baldwin in a suit go yeah this kind of movie when people are going all crazy that chat gbt is gonna like write films and like but this existed like 30 years ago without <laughs> chat gbt like this has been going on for a very long time like voting it in writing that is just so bad so i just think that there will always be people that value excellent writing and they will be as common as they ever were and the rest will be written like this and chat gbt but when you look at movies like this i'm I'm just like don't worry about it like bad shit has always been in existence proliferated even yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so when i see alec baldwin these days i just think of donald trump like i cannot right see and unhear his donald trump impersonation so he's playing some guys like slimy and conniving all i hear is him being donald trump so i yeah alec baldwin is so embedded into the culture into the meta entertainment yeah. verse that i no longer can it's the same as matt damon honestly when matt damon was in oppenheimer and he goes hi he comes in he goes i'm a general i said to harry no you're not you're matt damon you're definitely matt damon oh that's me definitely... he was excellent as um leslie and oppenheimer and then at the end we were imitating um <laughs> we were putting our mustache on and being like i'm a general you're Matt Damon. <laughs> when someone is so famous and so yeah. like in meta film, like Matt Damon is, there comes a point where I just, I just see Matt Damon. Matt it's Damon. weird. I I just I can't though. Like with Matt Damon, I can't because I just think he's such a great actor. He is a great actor. If he, he turns up in a space movie again, himself. it's like, no, what are you doing? Stop it. Which. If he turns up in a space movie again, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like he's he has the a Martian about it. He's not. Mm. That's the thing to me. It's like he's, it's not that he's not that he's Matt Damon. It's that he's um, oh fuck, what's the character in the Martian? I can't remember the character's name. He's that guy. Well, it's Matt Damon. Anyway, um, so Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I agree. Okay, and then last but not least, we'll discuss Bruce Willis. You Bruce mean John McClane? Willis. You mean John McClane, Bruce Willis. Um, yeah, I love him. I love Bruce Willis. I find him endlessly watchable, even if it's shit, even if he's weird, even if the character choices make him an alien or a psychopath. I still love Bruce Willis. I love Bruce Willis. I do. I genuinely do. But this movie was just such a like formula of... Let's just go through the four-step motion of making an action movie starring Bruce Willis. And it was just like, he's more than this. He is more than this. We know he's more than this. So just give him more. Like, don't just give him shit. Well, I mean, he's been given everything, so he's all right. 
He's been given everything and then some. There was a point in the 90s where it was like all these, all like him and John Travolta were just pumping out these action films. And most of them were left in the 90s where they belong until Frida revived it. Um, I still think we should, uh, I do genuinely believe we should do a full episode on Armageddon. I think it's been long enough. It's like three years ago since we did those minisodes. I think there's a couple of disaster movies in there that deserve full episodes. Yeah, okay, Armageddon fine. is one of them. One more actor that I just want to point out before we go into tropes is the guy at the beginning with the bo- he he's like he has a blonde mustache that's barely visible because he's like color of his skin is like the same as the mustache and he looked very familiar. And his name is James McDonald and he was in so many films. He was in actually Broken Arrow too. Oh yeah, that guy. Yes. You know him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know him. Everybody knows him. He's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. even. Yeah. Even. He's in Volcano. <laughs> what, what, what? He's in Volcano. He's in Chicago Fire, General Hospital, True Detective, NCIS, American Horror Story. Um, yeah, he's in loads of stuff. So he's, he's definitely James Rebhorn level. Major Crimes castle the mentalist dude he's in everything mm. yeah csi miami he's in like every different csi weeds jericho home of the break criminal minds i was like criminal minds better be on it without a trace <laughs> cold case er <laughs> i love these people they're probably doing so well these minor these actors that you don't know their name but they're just in everything 24 nypd blue they're beat they probably work so consistently from for like 40 yeah. years and don't have a high profile so that they they aren't disturbed by fame but probably live like a lot of the privilege of that without the problems around it so they get recognized but like in a good way yeah and they probably work consistently he's in sex in the city okay that's where i really know him from he's the guy in the episode where they go to los angeles and he's a porn star and there's a dildo that is based on his penis and samantha buys the dildo and that's the guy (laughs) i'm i'm like it's that's him cool the porn star in la okay anyway cool yeah i digress yes yes you fucking have This bit's gone on a while. Let's get into tropes. <laughs> Welcome to our section, Trope of the Week. And we're going to bring up some tropes that we see in this movie. Um, I'm going to start because I don't even know how many I have, but it's definitely more than three. So I'm going to give you one. Okay, so my first trope is the computer lap, the suitcase computer. Bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop. There's, there's, a, there's all these LEDs with zero function. So there's yeah. a point where... They open up a computer. It's something to do with the cipher. And there's these LEDs on the side just blooping and they definitely have no function. And that's a trope. Just no function LED. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Classic. Just to make it look cool. (laughs) Computery. Give me a trope. Uh, Bad guy super location powers. What? Like just, just the bad guy turns up everywhere. He always knows where they are. He always knows how to find them. He's just there. Like, no matter where they go, bad guy, found you. It's like he just pops up and he's like, boo, 
<laughs> I've got a gun. It's just like how? How do you? There's a, there's no indication as to how you're tracking them. You just you just you've just got superpowers. It's like honing right, in. My next one is the undercover cop at the beginning fitting fitting in with the rednecks because he just puts on a tracker cap and is like, I'm a redneck. You are obviously not a redneck because you have a beautiful soft skin and your shiny <laughs> hair or whatever and your clean clothes and it's like you can't just you can't no that doesn't work that way you people know you you're rich you're rich (laughs) that whole scene though that entire scene is a trope anyway the whole like you know the opening with the you know mission goes wrong and it's like the kid and it's like the whole way through from the first moment he talks to the kid you're like well that kid's gonna die i mean there's there's no i mean we're not we're not saving this kid that's not what this movie's about that kid's a goner so you're just waiting for it then it's like he gets up and it's like there's no reason for the kid to have stood up exactly all the shots just like no they were just kids it's like actually they weren't that guy was a full-grown adult and there was no other kids in this fucking they were they all had they all had like full-on gray beards what are you talking about man in this is a true story but in the story of the hijacking of the airplane um in that was landed in uganda in Entebbe, um that it was all these Israeli nationals that were hijacked in a plane and landed in Entebbe. It's just, it's a crazy story. And they sent people in there to uh, re- re- release them. And it was like a very successful mission because there weren't any hostage casualties, except for one guy who stood up when he shouldn't have. Oh. And that's true. He literally stood up and he got caught in crossfire. So people Delish. do just stand up sometimes, honestly. <laughs> People really do it. So um, <laughs> just calling that out. That is makes the whole film completely realistic. Um, all right. What's my next trope? Is there anything in my notes? I'll have to go to. I have so many. Okay. The 90s fall through glass bit. In the 90s, when a villain falls through glass, and even more like being killed with a glass. Right. There's two. There's there's falling through the glass and there's being killed by glass, which is also kind of like a soft way to kill somebody in a film where you don't want to get, if that makes sense. It's like strongly implied how they were killed and you realize there's no way they survived. Oh, that the- is a bit tropey. The glass. Like are you talking about the glass mansion. blowout scene at the end when the bad guys running yeah. across and all the glass windows blow out and that kills yeah. him? And then when yeah. he kills, he kills the bad guy. Yeah, I reckon that's in Spider Man too. The the wife gets killed by the glass. That's not, okay. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your next one? Uh, so I know we're gonna talk about it later, but I, I I did write down just the hey, you're a woman. Look after the kid. Now I'm gonna turn up at your house in the middle of the night and bust my way in. It's like just that we'll talk about it later but just the entire concept of the relationship between random strange lady look after child now we're in love just yeah so anyway moving mental. on mental <clears throat> and that also reminded me of battle battlefield earth with the lady where he's like our children one day and she's like children children <laughs> children we have children children <laughs> children 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 me one me children okay um, um 
Mercury is a quantum leap. Oh, yeah. Quantum... <laughs> Nano quantum quantum nano quantum. It's a quantum. Although why do, why do people always misuse? Like I don't understand this. When people say that, they're like, "Oh, it's a quantum leap," as if it's like a huge thing. And it's like you know, quantum means small, right? Like really, really, really fucking small. So do, no, do you not make any not what leaps? Quantum leap is. No, I Incorrect. know what quantum leap is. No quantum, but quantum leap is shifting to through time. It's, oh, it's just it's like, no, what? it isn't. It's not supposed because the word quantum doesn't come into what this is at all, but it's a cat. It's a it's it's describing a like a catastrophic change. Except cat- catastrophe means something different in the vernacular. It's when very very small changes happen, but one of those changes leads to a big change. I think that's what quantum leap. But is isn't that what chaos theory is? And the butterfly effect. Catastrophe theory. No, no. No, it's catastrophe theory, but I think okay. like if you say catastrophic change, people would be like, "Isn't that bad?" But no, it's a small, it's a, it's incremental changes that are very small. Like that's yeah. why quantum, but then one of them breaks a barrier and causes a huge leap. For example, right. when water is boiling and it goes boil, 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 and then it breaks the barrier and turns into steam, that would be a quantum leap for water. But I think that the term quantum is now so proliferated into dumb shit that it's, but it wasn't always. Are you looking this up? (laughs) Are you looking what I said up? I'm looking up if there's a real definition for this. Or if it's just, or if it's literally just. So, or if it is literally just because of the movie <laughs> quantum leap definition definitions from oxford languages um a huge often sudden increase or advance in something yeah an abrupt change yeah. or a sudden increase yeah or a dramatic advance yeah Quantum leap is rarely used in scientific contexts. It doesn't exist in scientific contexts. No, the word quantum <laughs> is just put in there. Oh yeah, because it originated. So basically, it comes from the it comes from saying a quantum jump, which is the uh, transition, um, basically an electron transitioning from one uh, state to another. So they had the, enough energy. The quantum jump of the electron. And then that turned into a quantum leap. And then Scott Bakula made a fucking show and ruined everything. Because because it's a discrete packet. It's a discrete amount of light, yeah. of energy, right? That is required for the jump. Mm-hmm. And so you could have, you could increase the amount of energy, but it's only until you get to the discrete amount yeah. of energy required that something will happen. Which is fine, One but second. quantum still means tiny. I know. What is your next one? Uh, it's just the whole, the, the entire characterization of uh, Bruce Willis's uh, a character whose name, oh, Art. I was like, I can't remember his name, Art. It's the, like, basically, I'm so rough and tumble. I'm just a lone wolf undercover. All I need is a cute kid, a fine woman, and that'll melt this icy exterior and turn me into a family man. It's just that, that bolt, like, just the idea that you could be that that's your entire personality and then your entire personality changed 
because you saved one child and met a random strange lady totally and on that note even the costume change at the end with the cost his costume change at the end you notice that you notice how he's wearing entirely different clothes when he goes to see simon a cardigan yeah he's like suddenly like he's all like oh i'm a family man look at me yeah he's in his like knit Mm. totally no but he also at the beginning he punches his like commander with impunity yeah and holds a gun to his head they were just kids gun he's gun yeah and nobody does anything that's because he's rogue but he gets results what i have left is yeah like government agents sending hoons to kill because reasons (laughs) The plot needs it. Oh, oh, I've got one more, actually. You know how in uh, The End of Ten Things About You, she's like, this is for this. This yeah. is for that. And this is for me. Which is a so, great fucking scene, and I resent your dramatization of it. <laughs> it's amazing. But he does it. This is for Simon's parents. Gut punch. Who are you? Why why oh, yeah. why would you need to punch him for Simon's parents and not arrest him? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> not necessary. You can't just punch people when you're a cop. You you go, this is for robbing the bank. I'm a cop. This is for murder. No, there's actually due process for murder. And like, this is what? <laughs> no, that's not how that works. What? That's not how that works. You can't do that. You can't do that. You actually can't because then he'd get something for that because it's illegal. Okay. So that's our, I didn't even bother with themes because the themes are, who cares? Yeah. But let's get into the science for this Yeah, movie. please. Because I am actually struggling with this fucking movie. <laughs> All right. So there's two topics here to discuss. Autism and codes. So the truth is, this is going to be controversial, but Mercury rising does constitute a positive depiction of autism up until Mm. that point, right? Because before that, nobody regarded like that people, they were like nonverbal and incapable of anything. And so even though, so it did generate a positive interest in autism. Okay. coming off of Rain Man and it did help people see autism in a different light and there was a consultant who taught Miko Hughes he's actually the head of pediatric psychiatry at the University of Chicago so he was the advisor to the film but he also exposed Hughes to actual autistic children as he helped Hughes understand the complexity of the role however That doesn't mean we can't give a more nuanced analysis on the portrayal, given that a lot of time has passed and we can do much better. Also, the movie was based on a book called, and I quote, Simple Simon. (gasps) Yeah. So, um, now, the most, like, significant problem with the portrayal is with the idea of the autistic savant or just the savant 
<coughs> so the issue is that positive portrayals of autism in film tend to portray the autistic characters as a savant. So Rain Man is an example of from the same era. But it's very important that we demonstrate that disabled persons have worth without having any exploitable powers. And more generally, right. that people have worth that is not linked to their skill and usefulness, which feels kind yeah. of like capitalism. So a positive depiction of autism shouldn't have to include a nod to superpowers. Right. You should be able to portray someone positively without being like, they're useful. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that I wanted to discuss with you. What are your thoughts on, on that? I, I know, I agree. And I didn't actually think about it that way when watching the movie. I did eye roll super hard at the whole like, oh, it's the beautiful mind moment. You know, he sees the code in the puzzle and it's like, oh. Yeah. And then he just rings up. But like, yeah, it is that thing where, and they do it with, it's done with a number of different things and I cannot think of a single example right now. But yeah, where it's like, whenever you want to portray something that's slightly different to what has normally been portrayed up to that point, you can only do it if it's something exceptional. If it's something to be, you know, in awe of or to be like, oh, look at how, the, mm. how magical this is. Wow, Instead of actually yeah. portraying the realities of what it is. And I think that they had the potential to do that with the family life but they immediately just went nah fuck that like they gave us a little taste little taste of the start of what the parents life was like with the child mm. and then they immediately just went no let's just have a fucking random stranger come in and then show what it's like for a random stranger to deal with him which i don't think i don't believe personally and i i absolutely don't know anything about this or it could be very wrong but I don't believe I, I find it very hard to believe that anything about the depiction of Art's relationship with Simon would have been correct or would have worked out that way yeah I mean but as they say autism is a huge spectrum so yeah. you'll find so many variations on, on trusting people and well you know what we'll get into but the, with the, the but details. with the betrayal that they're giving of art as be of art sorry not art of simon as being yeah, like yeah, yeah. the way that the way simon is portrayed um in terms of but like yeah you're right it's like that that whole thing of like i guess like you can't show a spectrum with one mm. character that's no. fine that's understandable but you can you can show it in the script through discussions with other people of the people who are trying to understand the character to understand yeah. maybe what different do you know for for him it's just they just treat it like he's autistic this is how all autistic people are done instead of just going okay so like what do I need to know like he never at one point speaks to anyone who has any information on autism no, that he never. then learns Dude. how to deal with Simon you're so right. There's literally one conversation. It's insane that he has. So nothing gets in. So nothing gets through. He asks the nurse or the doctor mm. and she says, no, everything gets through. 
that's the entire conversation about autism. That yeah. isn't communicating anything. Nothing gets through. Everything gets through. That that's that's all that's discussed about his condition. By yeah. the way, um, yeah. And so I agree. And also the fact that you have an autistic child, you can use that to reinforce stereotypes or myths or yeah. not to. Um, and this movie reinforces a lot of stereotypes, and we'll get into that as well. I think you're right um, as well. The, Sorry, just yeah. just on the on the whole thing, just just thinking a bit more clearly about this. Um, you're right as well. Just just about this idea that showing it it it, it leads this impression that autism equals higher intelligence, mm, that mm, autism mm, equals mm. people, and and the thing is from my understanding is as you said i mean autism is a spectrum there's many different people with many different symptoms many different um social in social profiles yeah and and that like i think i think what it does right when when you think about it in this way is that what what you can show with it is not necessarily to say that um as you said autism equals savant or equals um genius it's more just understanding that not everyone needs to learn in the same way. Not everyone will register information or will see things in the same way. And that you can have people who maybe are not good socially, but if you give them information in a way that they process that works for them, then, you know, it's... Oh, God, what's, what's the end of that sentence? You can have high intelligence. And I think historically we were so used to just going, if you don't read something in the same way or if you don't communicate in the same way, then that means you're stupid. So I do think it changes yeah. the depiction of being somebody who socially doesn't interact in the way that Simon does is seen mm. as stupid, but then changing it into this like, oh, he's actually a secret genius is yeah, incorrect. Well, it's, it's- like it kind of fetishize a little bit the genius yeah. qualities of an autistic person the 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 amount of autistic people that actually have savant qualities is really difficult to measure but i've seen different statistics from a lot of people say one in ten but right. um i did see one study it, it, again it's so hard to like because because often some of the subjects were tested and some parents reported so it's, a, it's difficult to actually yeah. determine, but in that study, they found 37% had some degree of like big abilities, but mm. the cause of that can be so many different things yeah. and there's so many different theories as to why. One is just the strong interest and obsessiveness, which sort of might lead to a practice makes perfect kind of thing. Okay. If you are have a very strong interest and you have a lot of obsession and the ability to focus and also maybe a little bit cut off from distraction of social uh, social distraction because you're a bit more isolated, maybe that leads to a stronger ability. Yeah. But I think the cause of why there's so many different theories. Um, so that's what I just wanted to say like that there is, there are theories, but I don't know. Um, but I did have a few, like I actually was, was, was going through Reddit, excuse me, but it's actually a pretty good resource for people that are autistic giving their opinions about this mm. particular trope. And I just wrote some of the comments that were so funny about it. And I just want to, I want to read some of them just because an autistic person's special interest is in a certain field. It doesn't mean that they're an expert on it, which I thought was an amazing point. Mm. 
Like they can have a strong interest and be wrong about it too. You know, that it's right. like they're not yeah. God. Don't forget the very possible reality of being autistic and a moron. <laughs> so someone said being autistic only makes me feel like I'm an expert at remembering trivial knowledge about niche subjects that are completely irrelevant or impractical for everyday life in the real world. In everything else, I feel like an incompetent fool who's bad at doing anything that's actually useful. And someone said, don't worry, that's most people. Yeah. I can't even remember irrelevant information, so it's still something. I do it. And then some Yeah. Oh god, is it is it continued with that one? I have a few more. And then somebody said about the it's very possible to be autistic anymore, and someone said can confirm I'm autistic and horrible at everything. Oh, yeah. So, so sorry, to go back to the one. Sorry, I thought you were continuing down oh, yeah. the thread of the same comment. So the one you said about being, oh, my God, sorry, I've completely forgotten what the comment was now. I can't even remember worded. irrelevant information. Yeah. It's, That's most people. So <laughs> do you know what? Like, this is the thing. It is most people because um, <laughs> I'm like... I'm literally doing a PhD in physics and sometimes my fiance uh, looks at me. Sorry, this is the first time I've said that to another human. Um, th- sometimes he looks at me and he honestly just goes, how are you so stupid at normal things? Like, how do you not know normal? Like, there's just normal things in the world and in life. And he'll say something and I'll just be like, what? And he's like, how do you not know this? Like, everybody knows this. And I'm just like, just because I'm smart in like science or in physics doesn't mean I'm smart at like life or the world or everything. I feel you, man. My mother calls me clever. Yeah, my mother calls me clever, 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 stupid. And her mother also calls her clever, 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 stupid. But the thing that I find is that because I'm smart is like that people really love proving I'm in fact stupid. I feel like people get extra passionate about calling out my stupid stuff as if it's some kind of triumph. They're like, you're so stupid. People relish in showing me that I'm a stupid idiot. I can't even tell you. And most of the time I just roll it off, but sometimes... I really snap. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm so stupid. You feel better now? Like I, people love making me feel stupid. I get that in all my fucking comments all the time. (laughs) Anytime I do a science video, people like going in, well, actually, (laughs) you just want to prove me wrong. um, Go away. Like if I can't open a wine bottle, it's like, oh, PhD in physics, can't open a wine bottle. What? (laughs) Those also, two things are like they're not like they're not connected. <laughs> the, oh, and then my mother, my mother will be like, she's a theoretical physicist, so there is no wine bottle oh, opening. The, the worst thing as well is like, it, do you ever get this where people just want you to do basic math? Do you know they're like, oh, mm. you could get. I had this with a friend actually. She Rita, done, you got this. Yeah, it's yeah. like we, we'd be at a restaurant and like I remember this. Dee would always be given the bill to work out the bill at the restaurant because she has a degree in math. <laughs> like do, do you know what you do in a mathematics degree it's not fucking addition and subtraction <laughs> like... i know and that you just get, get good through practice by the way yeah. one time we had a family a trivia night and and there was a question about fahrenheit and celsius and like at what temperature are they the same or something like that or what temperature are they the same and i was like i can do this with the power of maths and i did it and i got it and it was right and they were like what it was right did you just get that <laughs> like like, they could not believe 
Did I actually derive something with maths? <laughs> anyway, I'll keep going. Um, I'm an as. Someone said I'm an Asperger, and I'm. I love it. I'm an Asperger, and I'm the most average guy ever. But in movies, you have to be either an outstanding genius or a totally dependent person, like terrible, like see a movie. That's what yeah. he said, which is actually amazing. And then somebody said Hollywood autism is making a five out of ten guy with a specific interest not make eye contact. <laughs> I love that. I love all these autistic people self-reporting. Um, anyway. Okay, so apart from the idea of the savant, which is just it's it is damaging to autistic people to constantly portray autistic people as savants. That is, it's not it's not common, and it's certainly not common to the degree that they show it in the book, like puzzle, you know, yeah. like even I think that there's a percentage which are very bright, but a much smaller percentage that are magically bright you know what i'm saying right so it's damaging but there are a few things in the movie which are accurate and i do want to bring attention to these things and the two things i want to highlight are wondering and trust okay wondering wandering sorry wandering and trust because wandering by autistic children is very common and dangerous and puts a lot of stress on uh on families uh with autistic children um I saw a pretty good study with, um, you know, it was information from from 1,218 children with autism spectrum disorder and 1,076 of their normal developing siblings or typically developing siblings. Now, nearly half of all the children with ASD attempt to wander or bolt. So from a safe, supervised place, bolting is a huge one. So in that survey, yeah, so 49% reported wandering children and about half of those were missing long enough to cause worry. 65% of the the half, right, of the people that wandered, wandered, 65% involved a close call with traffic and 24% with drowning. In contrast, the typically developing children, only 11% wandered before between four and seven. And when you get to the age above uh, seven, or after the age of eight, 1% of typically developing children will wander or bolt, compared with 27% of ASD children over the age of eight in that study would wander or bolt um and apart from so and when incidents where it does end up with fatalities 71 percent of those is from drowning and then and then traffic accidents but other things dehydration heat stroke hypothermia falls and encounters with strangers also are risks so um and then another statistic is more than a third of autistic children who wonder, so we were talking about a third of a half of all of them, are rarely or never able to communicate their name, address, or phone number. Aww. So wondering, wondering for fuck's sakes, so wondering 
is a really real and serious issue with children. And in this movie, he does wander mm. into traffic, I think twice, one in front yeah. of the train and one crossing the road. I do love when he goes across the road, the woman's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then what does he say in return? Hang on. I think it's a good one. He doesn't see things like other people. That was what he says in exchange. That's got nothing to do with it. Um, yeah. Wondering is real. And wondering. I'm such yeah. a moron. But um, wondering is real. And the reasons for wondering is also like why. Um, it can be to go after an interest or to escape an environment. Yeah. That is stressful. Okay. From a sensory point of view, perhaps. Um, but again, what are the reasons? Many theories. So that's wondering. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. The next one is the trust is very interesting because in this film he does, like they might have built the character off of things that are true, but it doesn't mean just because you put things together, it makes a real person just saying, but just to give credit, trust issues are also an issue with children with autism. Like he's sort of fairly willing to go off with strangers. Um, here and the only thing that tends to save him is the instruction from his parents do not go off with strangers you are a stranger okay mm. and the reliance on repeating things and routine so he's been taught by parents that if someone's a stranger you do not go with them you do not trust them right um mm. so this is a real issue with children that have autism because they are less likely and much slower to learn to distrust to distrust people. Oh, okay. So they will easily trust strangers. Yes. Oh, as okay. children. All right. Okay. Yeah. Like that they easily trust or are just slower not to distrust, if that makes yeah. sense. They okay. have to learn to distrust because all children are from a very young age trust. Right. That's why they're so vulnerable. But eventually you learn who not to trust. Right. Right. You learn about lying. You learn about how to tell if someone is lying, how to realize that they're deceiving you. And children that are typical, typically developing are much faster to learn how to tell the difference between someone who's deceiving you and someone that isn't. Yeah. And then are much faster to learn how themselves to start deceiving through lying or just other forms of deception. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, and I just, there's a great blog. Um, it's called A's for Aoife, not autism that I ah! just was really enjoy. Sorry. I looked what? at that today. <laughs> oh yeah. You know that one? I, I, I wasn't, yeah. I never normally look up anything that you, like any of the movies that you pick because I just let you tell me and stuff, but I had to check. Like, I, I just wasn't sure myself. And I was like, I need to know what autistic people have been saying about this movie. And if they Before think that it's, it. um, yeah. Yeah, I was like, do you actually think this is, I think it's a bit offensive. Do you think it's offensive? And that was one of the first ones yeah. that came up. So yeah, sorry. Totally, yeah. No, I hear that. No, because you want to make sure what you're saying is representing like the people that you're talking about. Yeah, because like I'm not um, going to just randomly speak my own thoughts for other people on assumption. So I was just like, I, mm. you know, and I think it's good to just kind of be like, this is how it's made me feel. But like, how does it make you feel? 
Totally, yeah. Because there's some more like balance sort of like, but when people yeah. just speak from their heart on their personal blogs, they're like, fuck this movie. But yeah, there is definitely some more like papers yeah. that are like, this is positive while this is negative. Okay. But anyway, because because even if I'm taking piecemeal, the wandering, the trust, it th- doesn't mean that it comes together as a believable yeah. human being. So right. I just think that this is, but yeah, um, what they say about trust is that an autist, I love that term, is so often transparent in their words and actions, right? That it's a struggle to comprehend that others might not be. Right. So if an adult tells an autistic child a lie, they will usually believe them without question. After all, why would a grown-up lie to you? Isn't lying supposed to be bad? This is particularly worrying for an autist coming up against potential bullies and predators. Now, mm. once the, 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 the thing that then starts to build into mistrust is that those experiences really start to build up when you do realize you're being deceived or people talk about you behind your back. It's so destructive that maybe you would then build up an ability like, inability to trust anybody into adulthood is the funny thing because you become so trusting and then it sort of can be really hurt you so but that's a whole other question about about the the damage uh, from being treated badly as some you know if you have a disability and how that develops but we're talking about children here i guess it's a bit more simple um by the way, a good what I've seen around the internet is that a good portrayal of an autistic person is Abed from Community. Oh, so just, I haven't watched Community, but oh my I've god, I keep hearing. Community is one of the greatest shows that has ever been made. It is so intelligent, really? and Abed is a fantastic character, and everything. Oh my god, it's so good, and they do. Oh yeah, it's so. Uh, it's so weird because I was thinking about Community when we were talking about Battlefield Earth because we had a little moment where we talked about Nicolas Cage and, and actors' portrayals and stuff and there's this fucking hilarious episode <laughs> all to do with um, Abed like, trying to do this proof about Nicolas Cage as an actor. Oh, I don't know. Sorry. I just Community is excellent. You should ab- absolutely watch Community. It is fucking excellent. All the way through. I've only heard good things about it. Okay, one other thing I want to talk about, which pissed me the fuck off, was the eye contact thing. Look at me, look at me, Simon. So the idea of forcing an autist to make eye contact with you is so, like, archaic. Right. Um, But, you know, this is, I guess, what comes from putting people with special needs in with other children and expecting them to have the same standards and the same behaviors rather than educating people about how maybe people's needs might be different because educators have been taught that it's essential to get somebody's attention before beginning an instruction. Right. Whether eye contact is actually a viable approach to focusing attention on both the person who has autism and the person who's giving the information is entirely questionable because a lot of autistic people self-report that looking into somebody's eyes is so distracting that they're un- actually unable to absorb the information. And by looking away, it makes it much easier to listen. Oh, okay. Interesting. And some people say that when they're being forced to look at someone's eyes, this one guy said, all I'm doing is just like looking at your pupils dilating as you're talking. And at the end of the conversation, I'll be able to tell you how many millimeters your pupils dilated mm-hmm. by, but I won't be able to actually remember what you said 
Yeah. So this is a common approach that educators probably would have used in the 90s, but entirely is based on a misunderstanding of right. like focus and attention from autistic people and effective teaching. So it's very frustrating to see that. Okay, one last thing is that I just also saw a research paper that was uh, it broke down this film and other films in terms of the myths, autistic myths, and then the way that this myth, the scenes reinforced and dispelled the myth. Okay. So these are the amount of scenes. So out of all the scenes where Simon doesn't make eye contact, 60% This is actually so stupid. Who cares? This is so dumb. It took it it counted all the scenes with all these myths and then decided how many of those scenes reinforced and how many dispelled. And the myths were never making eye contact, unable to communicate verbally, respond to or show affection, don't smile, and not perceptive to cues. And by and large, the film reinforced all these myths and did nothing to dispel it. Mm. And like you said at the beginning, there's so little opportunity to dispel the myth about being respond to or show affection anyway. There wasn't a lot of opportunity. But in the in the scene that they did, it helps to dispel it, but there really wasn't enough in the movie of that. Most of the time, uh, it was just reinforcing myths about autism, and that's pretty yeah. much it. Do you know what? When you when when we actually just thinking about it, like there's there's things that they try there's things that they introduce but this just kind of goes into like just the movie being bad from a plot perspective and not and a, and a bad script as well like this, this isn't specifically about it being a bad representation of autism what i'm about to say is what i mean um because they did these things where they they had si- so they set up these things with Simon at the beginning with his parents that showed us how he responds to his parents and what he needs from his parents to uh, what his expectations are. Then they immediately removed the parents and they had like the, the main thing about Simon really was that he had this booklet around him that was information. They didn't give, they didn't at any point have any moment where Bruce Willis's character sits and goes through that booklet to try to understand Simon, to try to figure out how to engage with Simon, to try to maybe... I expected the whole time that, like, when he was looking through and he saw, like, oh, friend, that I expected the whole time he was going to add cards, art, friend. And he just didn't. And then, like, they... And they... All the little things as well about him, like, him needing his dad to rock him to sleep. And we had a moment where Simon is trying to communicate that. He's basically saying, like, dad dad will sing or something like that. I can't remember. But, like, Bruce Willis doesn't pick up on it. There's no effort to pick up on it. There's no effort to educate, to learn, to figure out what does Simon need. Bruce Willis Mm. just does what his normal man character does. And his only solution is find woman. Woman take care of child. And it's like, I just, I just don't feel, we never learned anything about Simon. We never learned anything about what he needed. And we never did anything in the movie to actually provide him with what he needed to make him more comfortable for him to begin to trust and be comfortable with art and to actually, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just frustrating. It's like, you know, like you're saying about the, like these myths and it's like, if you're just going to portray one person and you're going to set up this story around this is what this person needs and this is what is true for this person. 
but then just throw it all out the fucking window for the rest of the movie. I don't know. I'm just... Mm. That just annoys yeah, me. Yeah, they kind of just treat him more like a robot or just a quirky character. There's, You're right. There's zero attempt by Bruce Willis to actually provide like meet the child's needs or to try to learn how to communicate with them at all he just goes am i your friend i'm your friend like that's all he uses the thing for he doesn't stop to think because this child's been ripped away from every amount of stability and Mm. comfort that was carefully carefully built up for him and there's no attempt to reinforce the comfort how do you think you can't just drop you she just dropped the child off with the stranger and like left him left him there without any discussion as to like what he's there's an entire scene where he tries to go to sleep he tries to have the child sleep in a car under a bridge like like the expectation that the child is going to be comfortable yeah it's it's just there's no attempt whatsoever made and the more we talk about the more annoyed i am Yeah, the, in the universe of the movie, like, Bruce Willis' efforts were somehow enough. Yeah. What? No, they weren't. Okay. Moving on from autism is the subject of secret codes because the whole other plot of this film is the fact that um, he cracks a government code in a puzzle book. So my question to you is how realistic, and I'm not talking about the ability to crack the code, I'm talking about the fact that it was in the puzzle book. How realistic is this? I would say, right, okay, so th- this is this is what fucks me up, right? Because my brain wants to say not fucking realistic at all. But, like, a few episodes ago, we did They Clone Tyrone and we talked about MKUltra. So I don't fucking know, man. I don't know what they do. The answer is realistic. <sighs> fucking knew it. Oh. It's a comment, like, I don't say a particular in a puzzle book, but it's a very common way to test how good a code is by putting out to people to try to crack it in right. some way or another. Um, Without people most, knowing what they're doing or as an actual, like, you know. That's a very good question. The examples <laughs> I have are people knew what they were doing. Okay. Whether they put it in a puzzle book. I do remember that when I watched this movie with my nodal ex-boyfriend, he was like, actually, that's a very common way to test, uh, test uh, codes. Actually, it's really not so crazy at all. Mind you, he did work in intelligence, um, so I'll give him that. But um, that was his comment. And so I yeah. couldn't find anything particular saying that puzzles is a common way. But the mm. RSA factoring challenge was a thing. And this okay. is what it was. The RSA labs. The RSA is an American security company. They're a big company and come up with codes. In 1991, so... Uh, uh, contemporaneous to this film mm-hmm. uh, they put out a challenge to encourage research into the number theory or to, to push uh, to push the cutting edge forward mm-hmm. and the and the practical diff- difficulty of factoring large numbers that was specifically what they were trying to crack uh, which was used to crack RSA keys you know RSA because every time you use public keys and private keys and stuff it's all using RSA software okay. So they're a security company that is all about, yeah, this kind of thing, code cracking and ciphers. So they published a list of semi-primes. A semi-prime is a number that has only exactly two factors. Uh, 
only two factors um, that multiply together to make the number, just in case anybody's unclear on what that means. And they put a cash prize for successful factorization of these huge numbers. The smallest one was 100 decimal digits, so 100 different hmm. integers inside the thing. And it was cracked within a month. But many of the large ones have still not been factored. And so they use these sorts of competition to build amazing uncrackable codes. And it seems like there's one guy who cracked most of them. Okay. <laughs> or his lab. He's a Dutch mathematician called Arjen Lenstra. So first it was the, few, the first few are just him, but eventually it was him plus colleagues. So I guess he, he and then he has a lab. Um, he has a pretty big uh, com computational uh, number lab. Um, and so, yeah, RSA has built their codes, their secret code system based off of the efforts used to like push it out into the public and get amateurs or professionals to try to crack it. So it is a way to really test how good a code is to put things out in the public. And there are loads of examples of codes that have been put into the public that have not been cracked. Like outside the CIA, there's a monument with ciphers. Oh, cool. And one of them still has never, ever been cracked. And apparently, if you crack the last one, there's even another cipher that's within the last one from all the instructions on even another one. But people in the public try to crack them and the one of them has never been cracked. And there's a few codes like that. There's even, there was even a code. You know Elgar, the, the British uh, composer? Elgar? So he had a penchant for ciphers and people like to try to crack his codes. And one of the codes that he wrote, it was just in a love letter. It probably says nothing. Just but lovey-dovey stuff to his girlfriend yeah. no one's ever 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 been able to crack it so this but i digress but anyway that's pretty cool though isn't it about yeah. the rsa challenge yeah so it's a, it could be this was actually baked because it was contemporaneous it wouldn't be a stretch to think that it was based on that right yeah, yeah. related is kaggle and things like that yeah it's like how it's is, is this not how google and how facebook have built their entire open source like machine learning. Yeah, I thought Kaggle was like, CERN. Is Kaggle CERN? I think Kaggle is CERN and it's specifically because the particle trajectories are so difficult to um, recreate that there's all these challenges, all these machine learning challenges to try to help um, recreate the particle tracks. And I think, uh, yeah, so I think that uh, that's that's what I understood Kaggle to be. Mm. but yeah but think, yeah it's all that kind of like just challenges crowdsource yeah i mean there's loads of stuff out there like that that it's yeah um citizen science isn't it isn't that mm. what it's called yeah especially with ai these days mm. they kind of put it out because it seems like the best people are amateurs i think it's also it's more a case of that there's lots of things where you can the information is there, you can get the information or you can do it, but it's just that there's not enough time. Mm. Like there isn't enough hours in the day for one or two scientists to actually sit there and be working through 
codes or data and that kind of stuff. So putting it out there for citizen science means you can go, okay, well, look, I mean, this is all open source anyway. So, you know, we just, if, if you want to get involved, here's what we need you to do. And then it means you can have all these computers in the world working on this problem for you. Um, mm. And so you can just get to the solution much faster. Totally. And it gets people involved and interested as well. I wanted to actually talk about the codes, the kind of code that's in the movie um, and the different kind of codes that actually exist, the sorts of codes, um, if you're interested. Well, even if you're not, I'm about to talk about codes. <laughs> you don't have a choice. So the most famous and oldest recorded or whatever basic codes are um one is called the caesar shift it's very common and it was actually the code used by caesar to send instructions to his generals like attack at dawn being an actual Mm -hmm. instruction and the idea of the caesar challenge is basically just to shift the caesar challenge the caesar shift shifts the alphabet so if it shifts by one, then A is B, B is C, yeah. and so on. If it shifts by four, then – and that's the Caesar shift. So it just requires you to shift everything by the correct amount, and then you can solve the code. And the next most famous and basic code is – I don't know what it's called, but it's, so, it's solved by something called frequency analysis. It's basically that you substitute each letter for a symbol. That's basically it. Yeah. So each alphabet gets – each each – letter in the alphabet gets its own symbol and that's the whole thing um and it was uh and the way that you solve it is something called frequency analysis because first it seems like oh my god there's infinite combinations or what could it be but it isn't the case because we have certain letters which appear with more frequency mm-hmm. the, the letter e appears with the highest frequency it was like 11 percent or 16 percent. i can't remember and so all you really have to do is analyze the symbols and the frequency of the symbols and you could probably get to um what is this what is this the key uh, and things like if you have a letter on its own it's probably a or i you know so yeah it's actually pretty easy to solve and that was the cipher that was used by Mary, Queen of Scots, sending um, messages to Anthony Babington and Queen Elizabeth I's men used frequency analysis to crack Mary, Queens of Scots <laughs> codes, which led to her capture and ultimate execution. So code breaking has is like a really old yeah. thing. yeah any comments on that so far nope so but i was also always very interested like okay i've heard of the, this and i hear of that but like i'm also curious like how the codes get harder than that like when you look at you know the thing that simon's looking at i was kind of curious about how they then create things that are uncrackable and well, I mean, I'm not, I mean, those are, what I've described is already mathematical in a sense that there's a mathematical element to, to that for sure. But I just had one example of how the Caesar shifts can be used to create a more elaborate one, which then is less crackable. And one example is called the Viganer shift. And what it does, so the Caesar shift code has 26 possible options, basically 26 possible shifts, basically it's either one shift or it's 26 mm-hmm. or 25 shifts. Um, 
But what it does is it uses the shift plus a keyword. So if the keyword is king, for example, the length of the keyword determines how many ways the plain text is divided mm -hmm. and each division has a different shift. Okay. So if the keyword has four letters, then this, then the text is divided four ways and each way has a different shift. So a B might be T here, but you there. So mm -hmm. it's very hard to crack, but very easy to do. And the way that it does it is very clever because it's not four chunks. You just use the word. So every fourth word, every fourth letter has the same shift, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's like, that's how it's separated. So those, so that's just one example how by using these very basic codes, you can very quickly make something which is virtually uncrackable. And there's a book by Simon Singh that I've always wanted to, to uh, it's read. It's on called... my bookshelf. <laughs> Have you read it? No, it's uh, it's it's on my to read yeah. bookshelf. Totally, I've always wanted to read it. I read his other books. James has read Bang it, but I haven't. And Fermat's last year, love them. And yeah. the code book I always was always on my list, but I never got around to it. But yeah, that's all I have to say about science in this movie. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I I absolutely love. It's always something like the you know learning more about ciphers is something I've always been. Like something I'd be interested in, but I've just never kind of gotten around to. I used to love the puzzles, like the code breaker puzzles and stuff, and um. I remember when we went to Bletchley and it was just so fascinating at Bletchley, like learning all about the Enigma machine and, and the Enigma mm. codes and stuff. And it's just, it's so interesting to think about how you can, how you can create something like that. But also like, as you said, like how they get harder and harder and mm. how you create uncrackable codes. It's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I always really cool. wanted to know. Yeah. I kind of, the re like, I always wondered about this movie. What is the code? Like, I was always curious, like, what is so hard about it? I just had no idea. And I always, that's just kind of why I wanted to do it. It's just because I just was curious about, I am curious about codes too. Hmm. I really like the idea of, like, there's more codes which use a Caesar shift, but implementing linear algebra. Like, and so... If you know linear algebra, it's easy to make the key. But if you don't, it's basically impossible. Yeah. But it's almost impossible to solve. I'm, and so, yeah, I find it f fascinating. Now I just want to make science videos in code and have people try to decode them. I'm going to do love it. Love a secret code. Who doesn't love a secret code <laughs> as a child in terms yeah. of secret codes and languages and, um, you know, writing things in, in invisible ink? I did all that stuff. Did you do that stuff too? Did you have oh, any yeah. secret languages? Yeah. I, we kind of tried the whole, what is it? What's the, um, oh, I can't, I can't remember how to do it, but you know, you know, the ones where you change like the, the first and the last letters. Uh, what pig Latin? Yeah. No, that kind of stuff. I, I talked backwards with my friends. I just, I can't remember how to do any of it though. No, it was so because we have, we're too busy for this shit. That's yeah. the truth. When you're little, you have all the time in the world. Yeah. That's why I weep for the kids these days because they have so much to do. Um, they don't really have enough time where they have nothing to do. Yeah. They come up with secret languages. <laughs> That's so what you should be doing. Would, 
<laughs> we were the last generation of bored, out of their minds kids. <laughs> yeah. um, and I told I, to go I outside to play. Go outside and play, but there's nothing to do. I don't care. Go outside and play. Okay. Yeah, totally. Like we we got the best of both worlds. We got childhoods like that, and we also got technology like in our um, yeah teens or whatever. Um, that's all the science. So Excellent. now, if there's anything else about the movie that isn't what the fuck, if then you're free to 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 just anything about the movie that doesn't fall under what the fuck, uh, you can free say to know. Have you got anything? No, like I said, it was brave of you to put this uh <laughs> section in. But you, please right. do go ahead and tell me all your best bits about Mercury Rising. They aren't best bits; they're just random shit. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, this is funny. So the maths people, when they when they speak to the boy, and then the guy's like, "Listen to the timber of his voice. He's a child." <laughs> <laughs> that was Which such is a obviously ridiculous how maths thing. people speak. Yeah, the timber of his voice. I was like, "What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Listen to the timber. I'm a science person. Listen to the timber of his voice. He must be a child." <laughs> hilarious um java queen when that when that woman turns up with the short hair that sweet sweet girlfriend Mm. and she's talking about i'm the java queen do you remember in volcano when they were talking about java coffee oh no i don't remember that was so long ago come on (laughs) it was but it was like i realized there was a point in the 90s where people in certain places of the world got clued in about coffee oh yeah coffee single origin java and there was java beans and so there was a bunch of movies in the 90s around there where characters were like coffee people and they talked about single origin beans (laughs) and it's funny java was the yeah is in both movies um guessing the einstein password right oh (laughs) einstein so when he's like guessing (laughs) guessing the puzzle and he wrote einstein what would what would they Harry? What oh he was guessing it, so he was like the clue is Einstein or something like that. I can't he remember. He said try I'm Einstein. Pretty... Or he yeah. said look out for Einstein or something like that. It was basically like he set up an email address and it was like, okay, cool. So the email address is Einstein at, but he didn't know what government agency it was. So he's literally just trying. <laughs> Sorry, Einstein. now that I say this, it's so... Einstein go on, go at on. CIA. Dot org or US? I don't know. What's the what's the U? Is it US? I don't know. Einstein. He's like try an Einstein at FBI because that's how it works. So it was email account. Yeah. So there was an email account that was Einstein at FBI dot. I don't know. Com. That's the one. Com. Yeah. And then it was like, what's the password? Try Albert. No. Try Albert. Mm. No. What could Mm. the password be then? Mm. Try E equals MC squared. Sorry, no special characters allowed in a password. Yeah. (laughs) Bruce. (laughs) Oh, the 90s, back when you could just set up something, Einstein at CIA.org. Oh, the days. It's so funny all the and all the and they showed the list of all the agencies, like all the emails. The lists like the yeah. at CIA, at FBI, at NSA. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? 
and then we cut to the guy is wearing an Eagles MC Square yeah. T-shirt. I think when he's oh when yeah he's yeah first. he'll recognize me. He knows the secret Einstein code. <laughs> oh my God, Bruce Willis talking about he's waxing lyrical about Simon's autism, and he's like, just think, all these circuits get in his brain. He's talking. Could have been smart. Could have go to college. Could have been married. Could have been been cool. But all these circuits get zapped. No, no. All these circuits get crossed. Zap. Also, um, what point in the movie did he have that conversation where he learned all about the circuits of an autistic brain? What the fuck? That is so... He's just talking to the lady. Could have been smart. Could have gone to college. Got married. Been cool. All these circuits get crossed. Zap. And that's autism. Now he can't be, can't be married, can't be cool, can't be smart, can't go to college. Not cool. That's the that's the Zap. main part for like cool coolness. It's the nineties. Cool. Everyone has Could to be, be cool. cool. <laughs> okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. When she walks in to find her boyfriend or her friend dead, mm-hmm. this cool character with the typewriter, with the typewriter. She she walks in like this. Oh, you wouldn't believe the morning I had. Uh, did you leave my... Oh, Leo. It was so bad. Oh, my God. I've been crying. So bad. I think when you walk into someone's house, you just look in a random direction and go, I don't look at her. You just go, wow, I've been crazy. And then you yeah. fall and you're like, What? It's such a classic move. Like there's certain moves that you see, like there's just certain things in movies. We talked about it with Killer Clowns in the whole, like there's the shower scene, the whole, you know, pan pan down the legs. That's just standard. Every time a woman's getting in a shower, she's lighting a candle. She's got a dressing gown. You know, we're going to see that shot where you take the dressing gown off and they drop down. You know that when there is a dead body in a room and someone's walking in, it's standards that you know when they walk in, they will not, they will look in every single direction other than the direction of the dead body. They have to look distracted in some way. They have to look like, oh, I'm so, I'm so, I got my know. keys. I'm crazy. Oh, I'm so absorbed in this coat rack. Ooh. <laughs> I know. The coat rack is a classic. Where's my coat? Did you see my coat? Oh, it's the same as, you know, when someone walks into a Pick room and they up. don't turn the light on and they walk in a direction where the room is behind them. That's the moment when, you know, nah, wait for the guy in the armchair to turn the light on. Ding, ding. Yeah. It's just these totally. scenes, you know, you're like, I'm so glad that you agree with my trope. <laughs> um, and I think that's it apart from, yeah, the rest is just that. But by the way, the end with the cardigan, she's in a cardigan because she's now you know yeah not corporate anymore but let's wipe up get into it what the time for what the fuck okay what the fuck abby was there a point in this movie where you were like what the fuck Uh, i mean the very first moment where they actually kill the parents okay i mean it felt unnecessary and like when he came into the house i thought i assumed the story was going to be this whole the parents and then the kids missing and Willis has to find the kid and they're trying to explain about how he's autistic and he's got to figure out how to how to find and deal with or, or help this autistic child who's maybe run away or whatever blah 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 I don't know I did not expect bad guy walk in pew, pew, parents dead lovely loving kind wonderful parents just dead ripped from this child's life and replaced with 
Lone wolf undercover agent Bruce Willis. Fuck off. That child does not have a better life because Bruce Willis saved him. No, but on top of that, John Carroll Lynch is shot in the head. Point blank. And he calls 911, by the way. They shoot him in the head. They shoot him in the head. And then they come down and someone has called the police. And it's him. He managed to call the police in his dying moments. Hero, love you. Love you for that. (laughs) Love you for that. Dad. Amazing dad. Hero. Impossible. Dead. Dead. Wait, 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 wait. Was it actually the dad or was it or is it implied that the kid called 911? No, the dad, it was definitely the dad because he's but he was dead at that point. But he was shot no, in the head. He's still dying. But he was shot in the dying. head. He was shot in the head at like Right, right there. Meter. Right there. Yeah. Calls the cops. So Hollywood. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> what what other what the fuck have you got? Oh, the entire uh, rooftop shootout. Oh my <laughs> God. Why, why is there a chopper? Why is he in it? Why are they there? Why is she there? You know what I've written down. <laughs> and the whole, the whole thing at the end of the whole rooftop shootout. I have other things to say about the rooftop shootout. But like, it's just, I don't know. It was just like. I, I, I actually, do you know what? I don't, I don't know. I was just, what is that? What? 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 Also, so like, there was it only was one like bad this... guy with a gun. Why? It was like a SWAT team. The kid. And then there was one bad guy with a gun. Why the chopper? The whole thing was that they want to hunt down and kill Simon, not take him into a helicopter. Yeah, why, why they... not? They clearly did it just so they could. They feel like they couldn't have a '90s action film without a heli- helicopter climax. <laughs> we get the like. Dad gets shot immediately, point blank into the head. They're trying to shoot at Simon many times throughout the movie. There's there's loads of moments of of whatever, and then they finally get him alone in the hospital room. And the guy, so the guy's willing to chase Bruce Willis out of the hospital with a gun pulled, in his doctor's jacket. But he's not willing to walk into the room quietly when there's nobody else there and he's entirely alone with Simon and actually just kill him. Yeah. And be done. Stupid. Yep. Stupid. Stupid. Well, I mean, I'm not for killing children. Let's just be clear. But it seems like by their own admission... I would like some consistency in the story and the plot, please. (laughs) You either want to take him and learn how he cracked the code... Or you want to kill him. In which case, just choose which Say one that. it is. Choose which one it is. Say that. <laughs> you want to steal him? You want to kill him. You made it very clear you want to kill him. And then you keep stealing him. Just so Bruce Willis can chase you. And also, the helicopter, it just never goes anywhere. They never yeah, have the ladder. Like, it never does the ladder thing. Which I was expecting a ladder. If I'm going to see a helicopter and it's a 90s film, I better see a fucking ladder is all I'm going to say. <laughs> nope. They just plop. They just kind of fall out of a low-flying helicopter. And like, ah. The end. Yeah. All right. Is what that you the got? last one before the major one? No, I've got two more. Go. Uh, uh, when he's walking on the edge of the roof. Simon walking on the edge of the roof. 
classic to pick up the gun and yeah. then bring it back and it's just like this whole this whole thing where it's like ooh it, it's exactly what we said earlier about the whole the story trying to portray this idea of like autism equals savant also equals daredevil like tightrope walker skills or something that's <laughs> it means he's able to casually walk on the edge of a fucking rooftop that's like the gymnastics trope. Yeah. It's Fine. like and the, and the whole like, the whole thing powers. of the the struggle between like Willis and Baldwin like having their big struggle and it's like Simon no he'll fall off the roof. Oh no, he brought me the gun. Ah. It's just <laughs> stupid. So stupid. Okay, what's your what's your next one? Oh, my last one then is like at the end of um at the end of it, right, there's this really, really bad director's choice of um, of the style of what's happening. Where <laughs> there's a moment where, at the end, where he now has to have a sweet moment with the kid and the woman. And all of the SWAT team people are just standing there, awkwardly. It's like, they're all just standing in, like, this kind of semicircle around. They're all just like awkwardly like looking at their gun, <laughs> looking at this or that. And then there's like the, the pan in on the sweep. It's it's that classic crowd scene moment. You know, at the end where, the, where the, the people kiss and there's a crowd cheering around them. But like the crowd's not doing anything other than just awkwardly standing there while he has the sweet moment with them. And it's just... With his new family. Yeah, yeah. it's just weird as fuck. Which brings us into the main what the fuck thing about it, which is that... We've dribs a drab, but now we need to rant about this. Like, sees a woman alone, accidentally trips over her bag to get her to watch the child. Leave the child with her, basically, permanently. But then he comes back, gets the child, then turns up at two in the morning. Yeah. Knocks on her door. Yeah. To just return the child. Right? Like, we're, we're women. Finds, how did you get my address? I found your address because I'm a cop. But wait, don't call the cops. It goes against every then- single bit of safety that any woman has ever fucking taught. The idea... He's first of all, she's like, you're a woman. You know about this, right? And she's like, I guess so. Do you know what infuriates me the most about this entire thing? Yeah. Yeah. The most enraging part is that, and, and this just, again, comes down to terrible, terrible script writing and plot, um, structure. Cause it would not have taken it. I mean, it would have taken maybe one minute of interaction for them to have brought her in and introduced her as the girl he's currently dating. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. or someone that he was dating and then he went undercover so he disappeared for a while and now he's back and she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? I don't want anything to do with you. Where did you go? You just disappeared for a while. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, work and I can't explain and I can't really tell you because he was undercover or whatever. And now he's suddenly turned up again. And she's just like, and that, that's how he knows she's going to be at that coffee shop. And then he's like, look, I'm really sorry, but I just need your help. And then she's inclined to help him because she knows him. 
and she sees the kid and she's just like, oh fuck, someone's left you in charge of a fucking kid? Fine, I'll take care of the fucking kid. That's a standard basic bullshit storyline that we get in movies all the time. Why couldn't they just give that? Why does she have to be a random stranger and then we're supposed to believe that she's just like so fucking charmed by this guy that she's like, and she's not at any point questioning, where did you get this kid? This kid isn't your kid. Why am I not calling the fucking cops? What the fuck is going on? And now you're banging at my door at two in the morning and I don't fucking know you. Are you going to murder me? Yeah, you're so right. And you fixed the movie, the whole movie. Thank well, you. Because if that was the case, this would explain this conversation. He, he leaves the kid there overnight, comes back the next day, the day after that, doesn't matter. And she's like, I can't believe he's just like, as if I had nothing to do. And you just yeah. drop him off. And he says, this isn't about us. This is about him. What? Us? What are you talking about? Us? Yes. What do you mean this isn't about us? As if you've been a couple for 10 years or a married couple that's been struggling. And you say, this exactly. isn't about us. This is about him. And then what the fuck? Major what the fuck? He kisses her. He goes, look, honey, I got to go. What? This, and she's it, like, no problem. Do you know what? It's almost in like... In for a penny, in for a pound. It's almost like they played it like they were a couple, but like cut the whole part of the movie that told us they were a couple in some sort of way. Because I thought yeah. the exact same thing with that entire scenario. She misses her flight. This woman, who doesn't know these people, did not get on her flight for her job to go and do what she needed to do. Uh, you're telling me that that like I know he she got landed with a kid but like at that point you bring the kid to the cops and you just go I don't know what the fuck is going on here I don't know who these people are they turned up at my house at two in the morning I've got to go to like I've got to get on a plane to go to work I need you to deal with this whereas if you actually I mean, made us think that they knew each other beforehand then it would make sense if there was always circumstances in their relationship where his needs or his job was taking precedent over hers and she kept having to make compromises mm. for that that whole in exchange would make sense made sense oh it's so stupid she, abby she was very unhappy working he saved her her job was doing what has my job ever done for me i tell you what have they ever done for me i mean wasn't she literally a shoe salesman my job she was not happy Oh, she was at, what was she selling? Shoes. Oh, shoes. <laughs> so it's in the end, funny. she's in a cardigan and much happier. Yeah. Okay. Let's rate this film. Does it pass the Sam's test for gender diversity? No. Presentation? No. Sorry. Does it pass the here comes the science test? No. So nothing gets through? Eh. The opposite. Everything. Everything gets through. That's it. That's all we get. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Let's rate it. I'm so happy to give this a zero. I will give it 0.5 purely for the sake of the actor who played the kid. Oh, that's so nice of you. I know. So that's I just, easy I feel to average. Like I'll I do my arithmetic because I'm smart. <laughs> We have an average of 0.25 between us. Um, yeah, it gets no rescue in the science and it gets no rescue because of the utterly offensive portrayal of this child and the complete lack of any of effort by any other character to learn anything about how to make this child safe. Mm -hmm. 
Shame on them. Shame on them. Yeah. All right. That's it. Abby, what's next? (laughs) So I've decided we're going to do Pacific Rim. Oh, what is that? Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. (gasps) Giant monster aliens coming through a portal in the ocean. And giant Japanese robots fighting them. (laughs) Oh, wait. I say Japanese robots on an assumption because I think that that must be where it came from. It's look. With it's a fun movie, Elba. but like the science With is stupid. Elba. But it, I think it'll still be a fun movie to watch. I enjoyed cool. it when I watched it. I really enjoyed it. But yeah. anyway, okay, cool. So that wraps up Mercury Rising. In two weeks, we have Pacific Rim. Next week might be Battlefield Earth. I have no, no idea. No. No, Battlefield ne- Earth that, that will have been ago. last week. Next last week, week will be Snakes week. on a Plane. Snakes on a motherfucking plane. Snakes on a motherfucking plane. Okay. Yeah. So we've got that to look forward to. And then after that, Pacific Rim. Okay, cool. Get in touch with us at Science at the Movies on TikTok or Instagram. Email us, scienceatthemovies at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that we are more visible and feel good about ourselves. Okay. Bye. Bye.